0: Hey guys, welcome to the Behavior Techs Anonymous podcast. I am your host, Miss Ashley, and I am a behavior tech. Let's reinforce some of my behaviors. Hey, buds, welcome to the fourth episode of Behavior Techs Anonymous. I am your host, Miss Ashley. And today, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. Uh, If you don't know what imposter syndrome is, um, I looked up the exact definition just to be, you know, kosher about everything. And it says, according to the Oxford Dictionary on Google, it is the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. So basically, you don't believe in yourself and your skills and all that jazz. Uh, even if you already have it, even if you have like the right skills and the right stuff, like you have this like nagging feeling inside of you that you just don't, and that you're not good enough, and that you're a failure, and nothing you do matters, and that you're worthless. And I know that's just not a me thing because there's like a definition for it. And I know that a lot of other behavior techs have felt this way. And even some of the um, behavior analysts that I've talked to, even if they have been doing the job for a while, um, they said they still get like little like tinges of like, oh, I'm not good enough, (laughs) which I have definitely experienced firsthand like multiple times. Um, The first time I ever felt that way, I think, was the first time I ever had a session After I have gotten my certification, because, you know, you're training, you're like, oh, I don't know anything. That's fine that I don't know anything like I'm going to learn it. But I did all that and then I took that horrible, scary test and I was just like, okay, like I should know everything. I passed the test. I have my certification and they gave me my client. And I did not know everything. Actually, I felt like I knew nothing. I looked over the BIP. I stared at it. And I stared at it and I read it and I said, okay, I got it. I can do this. I didn't have any like supervision at that point. And I had already kind of paired with the client. So it wasn't like I could be like, oh, good, I'm just going to pair. It's going to be like a real easy time. Like I already paired during my training with this client. I've already looked at the BIP before. I already did everything, right? But for some reason I was like on my own and I was supposed to know everything and every thought left my mind. I didn't know like what I was supposed to do. Like even the words like token economy, I stared at it and I was like, I know what this is. I've done this before. Why am I feeling like I can't do it? And I started to sweat. My hands started sweating. It was really gross. I was just real stressed out. And it just when you have imposter syndrome, you'll know. Like if you're like, "Mm, I don't know what that feels like, you'll know when you get it. Because you'll get like this like pit in like your stomach. And you'll feel, like, uncomfortable and jittery. And it's almost like when your fight or flight comes into play. Like, almost. Like, don't quote me on that. But that's what it feels like for me. It felt like I had to get out of there. It felt like if I stayed and I did whatever I needed to do, like, I was just going to ruin everybody's life. And I had convinced myself of that for a while. That I was just this horrible behavior tech. And I shouldn't be there. And I wasn't qualified. And... I think that some of that stems from the fact that we really are only required to have a certification to be a behavior tech. And even to be a preschool teacher, you need to have an, like, an associate's degree. And I know, I know, I know, like preschool teachers are needed, they're wanted. I've been a preschool teacher, but still, like you need an associate's degree just for that. Um, and I felt like this was like bigger. And maybe it was the fact that I was working with children that had special needs, Or maybe it was just part of my imposter syndrome, but I felt like it wasn't enough. Especially just like with the 40 hour training and I, I was severely unprepared. I was extremely uncomfortable for a while, um, on my own in sessions. And then when I would ask for support, they were like, Ashley, you've got this. Don't worry about it. You can do it. You're doing a great job. If you weren't, we would say something but I didn't feel like I was doing a great job. I felt scared, (laughs) honestly, some days. And I just felt like I couldn't do what I needed to do to the best of my ability. And I just, there was no possible way for me to do it. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'll get better at this. It was just like, I'm not good enough to do this. Who is trusting me to do this? And that's kind of another part that I would like to talk about today is how you really don't need anything else other than the certification to become a registered behavior technician. And I think that that's what makes it really hard for some of us to fight the imposter syndrome. So like, as I said before, to be a preschool teacher, you need associate's degree to work with children in any other capacity. You need some kind of degree. Now, you know, if you just want to be like a Like, work at a daycare, that's fine. But even then, they still recommend you getting like a a CDA, a certification, and you have to be having like a mentor teacher sometimes. And I don't know. I felt like it wasn't enough. Like, what I was given was not enough. And if I had been given maybe a little bit more, that I would have felt a little bit more secure in the beginning. But honestly, I don't know if it would matter. because I still feel the imposter syndrome to this day. And it's been four or five years now. It's been a while now. Um, and it still like creeps up sometimes, especially I'm really bad with like, um, like verbal information recall, whatever that word is, even now, I don't even remember what it is. But like, if you ask me a question point blank, and I know the answer to the question, and I can show you how to do whatever, but if you ask me like point blank, I'm never. I'm not going to know. There's not going to be a thought in my head and I'm be like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm stupid. I don't belong here." Like even now that happens, which is very not true. And I know that the people who ask me that question would also agree that that's not true, and that's why they even bother to ask me. But it's still difficult. Um especially when, you know, You're around all these other people who seem to know what they're doing, which was one of my issues in the beginning as well. Because in the clinic, you're surrounded by people who have been techs for a while, or maybe some of them even trained you, and you can't help but to compare yourself to them. It's like, okay, I see you doing it. I feel like I'm doing it the same way, but the client's not responding the same way that they do with you. And, you know, I've learned since then that that's not just a me thing, that maybe the client responds better to that tech because they know them better, because they just do one little quirky thing a certain way, or just because maybe that tech actually is better than me, but that doesn't mean that I'm not still worth something or that, you know, like I can't do the job because I obviously can, but it was in the beginning, it was very stressful for me. Um, I would see, oh, the worst was when I would see, like, new texts come in, too. And I was like, look at them. They're getting it. They understand. They know what's going on. I'm just not it. That's not me. I'm not good enough. And then my stomach would hurt. I'd get real stressed out. My anxiety would flare up. And I remember just, like, my face was red like for, like, days and days because I would just, like, throw myself into this anxiety-ridden state where I just wanted to be the best and I wanted to do the best, but I just felt like I couldn't. And then, you know, whenever I would have supervision, they were like, you're doing it, you're doing great, great job. You should feel good about it. You're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. The client seems to be making progress. But then I would look at it and be like, yeah, but is it, I don't think it's me that's helping them make progress. Because at the clinic that I was at, you know, we like alternated clients. So like I would have a client from like two to four and then somebody else would have them like 12 to two. And then somebody else would have them maybe like four to six. Um, so I just felt like, I don't know. I felt like I was a placeholder for a while and I was really upset about it. I wouldn't like forgive myself for it either. I really just punished myself. And then I was like, okay, okay. Like I was like, after like two weeks or something, I was like, okay, I'm going to read up on stuff. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to make sure I know the definitions by heart, which I somewhat do, but you can't quote me on anything, you know? Um, And I just, I pushed myself to know and to be better, and I made myself flashcards and whenever I would have like some free time after I got home from work, I would kind of like review a couple of them while I was like watching TV or I would play like a game with myself or I would, you know, just like basically study for no test at all. Like the test was life. Okay. And I just, I took like practice tests too online and even after my certification, because I felt like I needed to be better and I needed to be the best I could. For the clients that I had and the imposter syndrome really just made me feel like I was not doing that at all so I was like looking around on the internet about this too before I made this episode and there are like some concerns for people who have imposter syndrome on the um, ABA subreddit if anybody's interested in looking at that um, some of the comments on there are something that I wish I had seen or got to hear before um, being so stressed out about it in the beginning because like looking back on it now I can see where I almost inhibited myself and my abilities because I was just so scared of people finding out that I didn't belong um, it was really hard for me to focus on like big picture tasks or things that uh, people would see and be like oh wow look at look at Ashley like she's a real leader she can do stuff. Um, so my work performance kind of suffered a little bit because of that. Even though I was trying so hard, it because I didn't believe in myself, it wasn't enough. Or maybe it was enough and I'm still really stressed out about it because of the imposter syndrome. <laughs> and it wasn't like after, so I got like used to that job, like working in the clinic, right? Well, then COVID happened and then I had to go in home and then the imposter syndrome hit me again Because then I wasn't home and I was supposed to be helping with parent trainings while my behavior analyst was over telehealth. You know, she did the best she could, but, like, I was in the house and I was so stressed out. The parents were constantly, like, asking me questions, following me around, and I had just become a registered behavior technician at that point. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, my behavior analyst, she would, like, hype me up. She's like, Ashley, you got it you're doing great. Your client's making progress, you know, look at her, she's doing amazing. And I was like, okay, (laughs) okie dokie. (laughs) I was not, I did not believe her at all. i in my head, I was thinking that she just didn't want me to quit because then who else would be on the case, you know? And like, that was like everybody's livelihood. So I really took that on my shoulders. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not good at this job. And now it's like my paycheck, my household's paycheck, and then like my behavior analyst's paycheck that are going to be at risk here if I do quit. And then again, if I quit, then my client's going to suffer because then who's going to give them the therapy that they need? Nobody, because it's COVID and everybody was in lockdown. But I thought, no, I'm good enough. I'm going to stay, which I didn't even like believe because I was just so wrapped up in being good enough, but I did kind of let it take over me, the imposter syndrome. I started really resenting the job, and it like made me sick to think about having to go into work, which I hated, and I hadn't felt that since I worked at McDonald's when I was 16, 15 um and it was really difficult for me because i really enjoyed what we did before but it just wasn't the same for me from going into the clinic into home and i think that like at that point i was like i don't even know what i'm going to do and i just like stuck it out because you know like that time was a scary time and i needed money so i just did what i needed to do until i was finally able to come back into the clinic And I did that, and then being around all the other behavior technicians brought the imposter syndrome back like tenfold, and at this point, I know you're probably thinking like, okay, well, Ashley, maybe you just weren't that good. No, I am that good, okay, and I was that good. I kept trying, and I did it, and I'm a great behavior tech, okay? I was that good, so shut up. But I still felt like I wasn't that good at that point. Um, especially, so I was, you know, you're exposed to other techs, And then I was like comparing myself and some of them I had never seen before. Like they were hired on while I was in home and they had been like doing like pods, like in the clinic. Um, and I was like meeting some of them and some of them really like knew what they were talking about as I was talking to them. And I was like, wow, I don't even know what they're talking about. I don't know. And they've only been a tech for what, like a month And then I just threw myself into like, well, that's not fair. How come they can do it? How come they know things? And then I got a little bit resentful because I was like, well, how come they got to come back into the clinic and got to be exposed to all this when I was there first? That's not fair. And that means that everybody else thought that they were better than me and I was right and that I was not good enough. Like, come on, Ashley, chill out that's real life. That's like a real thing. Um, and I've been talking to some texts on the behavior texts, anonymous, uh, Instagram page, and they have felt, I mean, the same way too. They have described feeling like they were just, you know, like I said, like not good enough. They felt really stressed out. And a couple of them actually left the field for a while or permanently due to the, um, Imposter syndrome that they felt because it was just so intense and they just couldn't take it. And that's scary for me because I never want that to happen to me, I guess, where I have like this big emotional reaction and then I have to leave something that I love so much. And the people that did leave expressed that they do miss the job, but they just couldn't. They said that they couldn't cut it. And I really don't want that to happen to any of you who are listening because it is such a needed field and it's growing a lot and i think there's going to be some crazy changes for behavior techs and aba in general in the next 10 years or so. um i've been, you know, keeping up on all of the bacbs um what is it? updates. <laughs> i've been keeping track of like all their updates and they have stuff planned like for like decades ahead already. like in the year 2037 for instance, i think that they're going to stop letting um other degrees like the educational degree the psychology degree go through to like qualify for like an aba thing like okay hang on sidebar so in order to be a bcba what you need to do is you need to have a master's degree in like three different fields so it's either like education psychology or something else it might just be like an aba degree Um, but in the year 2037 They are planning to make it so you can only become a BCBA with a degree in ABA. Like psychology and education won't count. So if you are interested in becoming a BCBA and you want to go and get your degree in psychology or education, I would suggest looking into that now, and hopefully you can get that done before the year 2037. And all that information is on the BACB website. Anyway, back to imposter syndrome. Um, so even thinking about that kind of stuff gives me anxiety because like, okay, like I'm a great behavior tech, but then would I be a good behavior specialist? Like, would I even count as anything? Like people have now like talked me up, like the behavior analysts that I've had are like, oh, Ashley, you're so great. We're going to help you your school. We're going to help you pass the tests. Like, you're going to be amazing. If it were possible to take the test right now, Ashley, you could do it. And I said, oh, my God, thank you so much. Um, but then it just adds pressure onto me because I'm like, I'm going to let all these people down. And if I fail that test, nobody is ever going to see my face again because that would be so embarrassing for me. Um, and I'm not talking like fail it like once. I'm talking like take all the things and then I still fail. Like that's one of my worst nightmares right now. Um, And I am scared that the imposter syndrome that I feel with even just thinking about being a behavior analyst is going to try to like keep me from that. And, you know, like I do have other mental health issues, like I'm already full of anxiety, I'm bipolar. um, And, you know, just like a slew of trauma or things that I perceived as trauma and things I'm going to therapy for. And I don't want the imposter syndrome to be another factor, like another thing I have to work through in order to be the best behavior analyst that I can be. However, I think that that's still a thing for the uh, behavior analysts, just according to that um, ABA subreddit that I was talking about before where they were like talking about how they just didn't think that they were going to be the best behavior analysts they could be because they didn't believe in themselves so, I think that it's like a combination of you know not having the most confidence in yourself and the imposter syndrome, so I went into the clinic again, you know, after the in home thing and the imposter syndrome hit again, but then again, like I buckled down and I became the best tech on this side of the Mississippi like I forced myself to be i pushed myself out of the comfort zone, and I became like the lead behavior tech. And there was like other people there that could have been the lead that were there longer. So I was very proud of myself for doing that and like being able to show the skills that I had and, um, being able to like, you know, like help the onboarding of the other behavior techs and to like help train other people, you know, and there was still like tinges of doubt, like, Oh, I don't know, like maybe I'm not good enough for this. But for the most part, after that had happened for me, I was kind of like solidified, like, okay, yes. Like Look at me, I can do this, I'm good. I'm gonna help other people be good. I wanna do whatever I can do for people, yada yada, yada yada right? Well then then I went to a school setting. <laughs> then I went to a school setting and the imposter syndrome didn't hit until I started getting questioned by the other school staff. Like, who are you? Why are you why can't you do like the same things as the behavior analyst can do? Why are you basically this kid's paraprofessional? Why, 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 why? What, 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 what? And I was really stressed out. Um, but the imposter syndrome didn't come on full force, like how it did before. And I think that was because that I was um, like the only behavior tech at that time. So it was like there's nobody really to compare myself to as like, okay, like I could be like this person. And it was just like falling back on my past experiences. So I think that being really confident at the end of working in my clinic career helped me a lot with that part. I just know that it was harder for me mentally when other people were questioning me. And it's not like they even knew what my job was, you know, like it was a whole thing. But it still made me doubt myself a little bit. And now when I'm in the schools and, you know, like teachers or specialists will like ask me questions I can answer those questions. I can answer them confidently. And then afterwards, I'll think back on the conversation. I'm like, oh, maybe I should have said this or that. That is just self-doubt. That is not, I don't think that would count as imposter syndrome. I didn't feel like I was doing anything worse or better than anybody else at that point. Now, when we had new texts come in, I kind of felt it again. Like I felt it a little bit more. But I was lucky enough to have already worked with one of the techs at the clinic that I had worked at. So I already kind of knew where I stood with this person and what their abilities were. And they knew what mine were, which was a big thing for me. And then when we got more techs in, I felt like a little bit of shame, like, okay, well, like maybe I'm not that great. Maybe they could do it better. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And I just had to keep focusing and telling myself that I was good enough and I didn't need to be ashamed And I didn't need to lack all the confidence because I already knew what I was doing before they got there and I could do it and do it well and do it effectively and be able to make a difference. And I think that that was something that kind of kept me powering through. And I wish that I had kind of thought that about myself, like since the beginning, because who knows like where I could have been or what I could have been doing now if I had had that confidence. Like I probably would have started trying to go to school for, um, ABA before this point when all I really needed to do was believe in myself and fighting imposter syndrome also kind of helps when other people believe in you too. Like I said before, like I had my behavior analysts like hyping me up and it was like, not just one, not to toot my own horn, but it was like three or four of them telling me I was doing a great job. And I wish I would have listened to them and actually like, soaked it in at that point, because, I don't know, I just, it's it's awkward, it's even awkward now for me to be like, oh, yeah, look, all these people liked me, mm. like, but then, you know, I always have that issue, too, that, like, I think that people are lying to me, but I, that's just, a, that's just an Ashley thing, that's a personal Ashley thing, I don't think everybody out there needs to worry about people just lying to them all the time, maybe that's paranoia, maybe I should bring that up to my therapist, I don't know. But what I do know is is that I did a little bit of research and somebody named Joyce Hamarter on choosingtherapy.com said that there were five different types of imposter syndrome. There is the perfectionist, the superhuman, the natural genius, the soloist, and expert. And I guess, you know, they're all different and they appear differently but what they all have in common is that they make you feel like a fraud and that you're not good enough when you achieve something. Mm, Sounds familiar. All right. So then our girl Joyce goes on to say, uh, oh, she gives us a nice little list. That's what it was. It was a little list of um, the characteristics of imposter syndrome. So she says it is self-doubt, maybe get a checklist ready, write this down, self-doubt, sabotaging, own success, undervaluing, contributions, low self-esteem, fear of failure, overworking, not accepting recognition for achievements, and comparing self to others. So if any of those kind of resonate with you, I think that you might have imposter syndrome. Welcome to the club. So now I'm just going to kind of go through the rest of this little article that uh, Joyce wrote, and we're going to go through, and if one of these resonates with you, great. And if none of them do, that's on you. That's not on me. All right. So the perfectionist, the perfectionist has a need to meet high standards and those standards would be impossible to achieve. Um, it pretty much leads to burnout, anxiety, and low self-esteem. Um, some signs that you might be a perfectionist include micromanaging, unable to delegate tasks, you're obsessing over details, and you struggle to make decisions, um, and you have, like, really high standards for things, mm, you have a feel of failure as well. Is that you? Do you have that? Do you, do you think you're the perfectionist? If not, then maybe you are superhuman. Um, she goes on to say that superhumans are, like, the workaholics of the uh, imposter syndrome world. They're super self-critical, and they can't really handle constructive criticism, and they tend to feel really guilty when taking breaks or enjoying leisure activities. Hmm. I don't think that one is me. Um maybe the perfectionist might be me, like like a little bit, but I'm not sure. Let's let's keep going. Let's keep going. All right, so this one is the natural genius, and this is one that I know that a lot of people could resonate with because it's like when you were like a kid and stuff, like success comes really easy you without trying. So like when you were younger, school was really easy for you. You never really had to study for anything, Um, but now you're kind of suffering. So I guess for this kind of imposter syndrome, you'll suffer with like self-confidence, especially when you're faced with any kind of like setback. If something's too hard for you, you're going to take it way too personally and you won't do anything if uh, it requires like a lot of hard work other than it just like happening for you. You tend to have extremely high standards of yourself and you are critical of perceived obstacles that might impede your success. So if something's too hard, you're gonna have issues with that. Which same girl, because sometimes sometimes something requires too much effort on my part. It's I'm just not doing it. I'm just I just cannot possibly bring myself to do it. The next one is the soloist. And if you're not keeping track, we're on four of five, so Anyway, it's the soloist. Um, The soloist is characterized by feelings of independence and the need to achieve success entirely on their own. Ooh, this one might be me. Um, So some signs that you are a soloist include uh, feeling that you need to accomplish everything on your own, um, that you're incompetent if you need help, struggling to network, so like talking to people, reaching out to people, which is me and difficulty understanding constructive criticism Eh, i would i would say that i understand construct constructive criticism sometimes i just don't want to hear it i don't enjoy it especially from like people i know and love like i don't i don't want to hear anything from you you have nothing to say to me that i want to hear so just don't say anything (laughs) all right so that was the soloist oh also soloist types often feel isolated and overwhelmed and that's pretty much what leads to their feelings of like not good enough and making them feel like really bad about themselves. Um, and you also like prioritize independence for overcoming social norms. So I guess like, you know, get over it. Anyway, sorry, don't get over it, but you know, work through it. The very last one is called the Expert." and the expert are people who have acquired like a special knowledge and skills in their field and that includes like i don't know like behavior analysts bcbas doctors uh, lawyers even managers at retail places because you know they're skilled they're the most skilled in that building shout out to my best bud uh anyway so the expert has feelings like you need to like master every step in the process. And constantly pursuing training and certifications. Um, And you like feel like a fraud despite having like, you know, being an expert in your field and struggling with procrastination because you feel overwhelmed and kind of like rereading that and like really looking at it. I feel like I feel somewhat like the expert, especially now that I've started this podcast, like the imposter syndrome is really strong with the podcast thing. And all the social medias and like people looking at me now. Um, not my favorite feeling, but I definitely feel like I am the expert and the soloist, maybe, or what did I say? No, the expert and the perfectionist. But it's a really cool website, it's a really cool article that um Joyce, what's her last name? Joyce Martyr wrote. Again, that's on choosingtherapy.com. And just to cite my sources. It was actually published on May of this year, and it's just like a really cool little article. And within the article, it also tells you like little tips on like how to like overcome it and what to do if you're one of the five things. So that's just kind of something to think about and to understand that imposter syndrome is so widespread that people are doing papers on it. And it's not just a definition. It's something for you to get over. It's something that you need to work on and something that everybody can experience. At any time at any age in any profession. So while we um, kind of wrap up here, I just kind of want to let you know stuff that I have been doing and stuff that my therapist had recommend that I do to combat uh, my imposter syndrome. And one of the most important parts of that is to kind of distinguish, like where the fear and shame like kind of come from. And to just like focus in on that and understand that that is like my own self doubt working its way through my brain, right. So, like, I know I have the ability, and I know that I'm worthy, and I have to just kind of, like, keep repeating that to myself. Um, Not knowing something does not mean I'm not worthy, and it is okay to ask for help when you need it. And it's also okay to not know something, even if you consider yourself to be, like, an expert at it. You also, according, like, along with that, you have to let go of, like, being perfect. You don't need to be perfect. No one expects you to be perfect but yourself. So to feel like you need to be any other way than what you are is not the way to go, especially if you are like really trying and you feel like you really know your skills and other people are also telling you that you know your skills. She also recommended that I kind of like trash track, not trash track and measure my success. Like, you know, just it's like taking data, like taking data, like, okay, so I didn't know this before and now it's been two weeks, but now I do know it. And what I like to think about, like, if I actually know something is if I'm able to teach it. So if I don't know something hundred percent and I'm not able to teach it, then I don't know it. And if I don't know it, then I need to work on knowing it. And also like talking about these things with my mentors and being honest with them about my feelings of like not being good enough, or whatever, or my what I find to be like my like deficiencies in the job is not something that they are seeing. So, I should be focusing on things that maybe I do need help on, like memorizing definitions. Because even though I do keep practicing them, I am just really bad at definitions, <laughs> really bad. But I'm just going to keep trying, and hopefully, uh, one day I will be able to verbally recall all of the definitions that I need to without getting brain freeze being, when being asked those questions. And the very last bit of advice I can give to you, which I feel like I said in every podcast so far, maybe, is to be kind to yourself when you're feeling your imposter syndrome. Nobody expects more from you than you do, especially in this like line of work. It's really important to remember that you are important and that your feelings are valid And you're allowed to feel anxious or upset or anything like that. But don't let it consume you and don't let it, um, you know, run your life. Because if I had, I would not be doing this podcast right now where you're listening to me. And I wouldn't have started working in ABA. And I wouldn't have gone from in the clinic, in home, to in a school. And I wouldn't have done anything like this at all if I didn't just be kind to myself and persevere and push forward. I highly recommend that if you're considering quitting the field because you're feeling imposter syndrome to kind of take all of this into consideration, do some research, go on, go on the internet, seek people out, especially in like forums and stuff. And the best place to look up stuff about imposter syndrome would be, um, the behavior techs anonymous Instagram or the, um, behavior tech only behavior techs anonymous Facebook page, or you could email me at, Hello, and that's H-E-L-L-O at behaviortextanonymous.com, and we can kind of talk more about the imposter syndrome. I am going to be putting some stuff out in the next week or so, kind of outlining everything that we've talked about now with links and the cited sources for where I got some of the information from during this podcast. And I hope that it's helpful for you. I hope that you feel connected. And I look forward to seeing you at the next Behavior Tech's Anonymous meeting. So why don't you go ahead, like, and subscribe and share this with your friends so that you can remember to do that. And I look forward to seeing you at the next meeting. Bye.